1: Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com. Not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. You know what I want. <laughs> I want to talk to you.
0: Hello and welcome to the Raptors weekly podcast. And I'm going to introduce our guest today with an excerpt from some of his writing. There are no guarantees that this season will not end in crushing despair, reminiscent of our recent past. There's no guarantee that the Raptors make the finals. There's no guarantee that recent wins over the Warriors hint at potential success if the two teams were to meet in June. It's all on the table and it's the unknown that makes the journey that much greater. This year, once again, feels different, and I'm going to ride that wave until I'm either heartbroken again or vindicated for the first time, because one thing is certain, this could be a fun journey to be on. Matt Chance, are you vindicated or are you heartbroken, my guy?
2: Uh, right now, it's probably closer to the heartbroken side, but you know, the journey rides on, I guess. Yeah,
0: tell the people about what you do.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm a writer here with Raptors Republic, and uh, just kind of trying to be as an optimistic Raptors fan, which, as history has taught us, is a hard thing to do. Do you think
0: that Raptors Republic skews more optimistic or pessimistic among the writers? Obviously, the comments are <laughs> the Wild Wild West, but what do you think of the writers?
2: I would say, in general, we skew more optimistic. Um, we've got guys like Anthony, uh, myself, yourself, uh, Louis, Louis. Uh, so we've got a lot of guys who who really slant more towards the positive side of things, but um, our uh, our Slack can uh, can get a little bit heated sometimes with uh, <laughs> in the moment.
0: <laughs> as as with anything, I'm sure. I mean, you watch a guy, and that's what we'll talk about first—the Kyle Lowry thing, which is how it is written in my notes. I'm going to try and be as transparent as possible, since sometimes people think we're scheming. But we'll let you know that I just have the Kyle Lowry thing written down, and we'll branch off of that. Any, just give me five words, ten words, to describe how you felt watching that.
2: Uh, it, it was painful in the moment. Um, every time that he, he had an open shot and either missed it or there was moments where he, he hesitated in, in driving the lane, uh, There, he just seemed to be a little bit off balance when it came to his own offensive game. Um, And yet the numbers still indicate that he was a positive well on the floor and the Raptors suffered whenever he wasn't. It's it's one of those confusing Kyle Lowry experiences.
0: Yeah. So the plus 11, which apparently now is a more divisive statement than Republican or Democrat. Where (laughs) where do you sit on that? Which side are you on? Are you are you pro plus 11? Are you negative plus 11? What's what's the take (laughs) on that?
2: Uh, I would slant more towards the the pro. Um, I would say that in the grand scheme, Kyle was not our biggest problem, and, and that's an understatement. Uh, there was far bigger issues that the Raptors experienced um, in yesterday's game uh, or in Saturday's game, and so I, I, I would skew more towards the positive.
0: Okay, so as the guy who wrote the quick reaction and just saying now that there were far bigger things that we had to deal with. Is, are there any, just off the top of your head, one, two things that you really want to highlight that the Raptors can do better or fail to do?
2: Uh, one that jumps out, and also because I, I, somebody grabbed a screen cap of it on Twitter, um, is Ibaka's screening. He, he was oh. really, really poor in that <laughs> game. Um, I think it was uh, it was Swarlasers who, who pointed it out. Um, yeah. On one possession, he missed four straight screens uh, that he didn't even catch any part of the, of the uh, defender's body. Uh, and, and that's just can't happen. It, it hurts the entire offensive scheme when we can't get those switches. Yeah, it was. They ran this whole
0: set above the break, but <laughs> Ibaka's like, seemingly laissez faire attitude towards screening made it so that Danny Green was pulling up from above the break. And that's the way the offense went in an yeah. important third quarter. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I guess outside of the Ibaka screening, which is like just a very granular thing, it was that emblematic of a bigger problem to you or are there other things that you saw?
2: Um I think in a lot of ways it was one of those nights uh, you, you look at the first quarter in particular, um, the Raptors created a lot of good looks and missed them. Um, it, it seems silly to to say that, uh, but it's true. They, they, if they get those same looks, you know, every other night they're going to get a far, far better result. Uh, and they just happen to, to fall a little bit short. Um, Van Vliet got kind of uh, abused by Augustine a few times. Um, he, Bless him. He tries hard, but the uh, he just wasn't quite getting that uh, the contact that's needed.
0: Yeah. Well, the one of nine shooting from the corners is kind of a bummer, especially when the game, like the margins, were so close this whole game. Obviously, the Magic had their big second quarter run. The Raptors had their big third quarter run. But outside of that, the margins of this game were pretty close. The game was played within a few points of each other for most of the game and seeing like how, like how much the Raptors might have benefited from a corner three make here or there. I think Van Vliet was the only one to make a corner three. I think he had three threes in the game. But what that would have lent to the offense as far as spacing and then obviously just points would have been paramount to a Ra- like a Raptors win. But here we are lamenting missed shots for, I don't know, maybe the 18th time. In Raptors playoff history, it's it's disappointing. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you think there's a remedy for the missed shots? Do you think, or it's just go put them up? You just have to shoot it.
2: I, I think you just got to shoot it. Um, the the Raptors have the have the shooters capable. Um, Siakam has shown that he can be a great three point shooter this season, um, and yet he was zero for four. Uh, Lowry was zero for six. Danny was capable at three for seven. Kawhi hit his three for five. Um, so. It, I think you just kind of got to work through it and, and and keep shooting, shoot yourself out of the slump to a certain degree. Um, but you, we can also do a, a little bit more work to get inside and, and get open looks in a, in a different capacity. Uh, but you said it yourself: the Raptors shot one for nine from three in the corner. Uh, Michael Carter Williams hit two corner threes. Like that's just it, it's the stupidity of basketball that sometimes stuff just happens. <laughs> Well yeah,
0: that's I was gonna ask you, since we're both supposedly optimist leaning Raptors writers. Even I like I'm a big Kyle Lowry fan. I wrote this big piece. You you had a little um, piece of it, but I had this big thing where I asked everybody, Well, how is Kyle Lowry important and what, what does he do? And I like I wrote that, but even still it's hard to watch that game and watch Michael Carter Williams hit a pull-up three and a corner three, and see Kyle Lowry not replicate that at all on the other end, see Aaron Gordon hitting clutch time triples, Jonathan Isaac hitting from downtown, D.J. Augustine putting up 25 points, it's hard to remove yourself from the irrational mindset of, like, Kyle Lowry, please make a shot. Even if you understand that he's stirring the pot and he's doing so much else on offense that the Raptors are crumbling without him, but like, what do you tell yourself when you know that Kyle Lowry is to the benefit of the Raptors, but there's so many jarring statistics and failures smacking you in the face? how How do you make yourself feel better
2: about it? <laughs> that's that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's it's kind of he, he's been around long enough that I, I've kind of grown comfortable with it to a certain degree. It's incredibly annoying in that moment when. Uh, you know, we, we can't, we should expect better than Kyle Lowry to be outscored by DJ Augustine and Michael Carter Williams, 35 to nothing. Like that's just the reality of it. Um, he needs to, and would generally win that matchup. Um, but occasionally he does go through shooting slumps. You and I were talking just before uh, we started actually recording this, that piece that I wrote kind of explaining how I was going to try and enjoy this (laughs) ride came in the middle of a Kyle Lowry shooting slump that was kind of melting down Twitter. Uh, he, he's, he doesn't get the credit often for the positivities that he does because when he has those bad games, they are just... Um, the stats that we traditionally look at, the the impact of a, of a game in regards to scoring, um, they're just so blatantly missing in, in regards. And yet he still had eight assists. He, he was impacting the game in other ways, um, and I, I think that he's still a positive.
0: Right. And there's also the aspect of that you can't escape narrative ever. I mean, Damian Lillard has been, I guess, one of the worst playoff performers from the point, part, point guard position for the last three years. He's struggled mightily, more so than Kyle Lowry, probably on a similar level to DeMar DeRozan. But he's known as Dame Time. He's known as the guy who made the shot to like knock the Rockets out of the first round. And even if Kyle puts up, I think it was 50%, 44%, and 81% splits last year in a second round, like you went two uh, rounds deep into the playoffs, he puts up these great splits. He was good the year before as well. But he still has this, I guess, name out there that it's like chokers attached to it. Is there a way forward for Kyle Lowry to, to completely skirt that and to build himself a new, a new name in this new team with Kawhi Leonard instead of DeMar DeRozan, with Marcus Saul instead of Jonas Valanciunas? How does Kyle Lowry reclaim his narrative and become the next Chauncey Billups, something like that?
2: I, yeah, I think you said it good. Um, the, the narrative is tough to rescript. once people kind of have a, a mindset in place for you. It, it's tough to change that. Um, we we would need to see a couple big big series from Lowry in order to to change that narrative. Uh, but there would still be some so entrenched in that belief and, and enjoying that as a punchline that let's say the Raptors get to the finals, they you know lose in six or seven or even you know. Actually, win the championship in, in some <gasps> alternate universe. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically, but hypothetically, if that happened, there would still be some people who would um, kind of denigrate Kyle Lowry in a way because it it wasn't his success; it was the Raptors making the change with Kawhi Leonard coming in and Mark Gasol and Danny Green. Um, so there would still be some who wouldn't accept that new narrative, but winning does do the the best towards that
0: right and i guess we're already leaps and bounds ahead of this first round loss we're talking hypotheticals in the finals what what does a kyle lowry performance to reclaim his narrative look like to you and i i hate to be as silly as give me points rebounds assists but like what does that look like to you what does what does the play style look to you
2: um 50% from three, hitting two pull-up uh, transition threes uh, from above the break, um, probably around 23, 8, and 5. Uh, if he's putting up those numbers, that would kind of change the mindset for people, but he needs to be efficient along the way, and... The numbers need to be larger last year his true shooting percentages were really good the year before that they were also solid uh, but the base statistic numbers weren't quite high enough in order to uh, shift that narrative
0: so when you think of like the dominant Kyle Lowry you think of like 37 points against the Cavs two years ago you think of like 35 points two years ago again like those types of games where he takes on role of score rather than when he's like has like a plus minus of like 43 and he's dropped 15 assists and 11 points. Like in the playoffs, do you think that his road forward is as a scorer or playmaker
2: in in regards to the Raptor success or in regards to him changing his narrative? Let's do both. Okay. So in regards to the Raptor success, I would say more so playmaking just because there are uh, individuals on the roster who rely on that. Um, If, if Kyle Lowry is getting the eight assists and you know, he's, Picking and popping for Ibaka mid-range jumpers throughout the day, uh, and you know, splashing just a few pull-up uh, transition jumpers—that's um, enough. He, he doesn't need to be putting up you know 30-plus points a game. Those nights will be just kind of gravy. Uh, but if we are talking about what the general public requires in order to shift that narrative, it would be as a scorer because that's what. People kind of care about the most. You know, you mentioned Damian Lillard. Uh, yeah, he's been busted out of the playoffs a few times in, in kind of heartbreaking fashion, uh, but he's also put up some massive scoring numbers and closed out a series with with a big uh, big scoring play.
0: And so I guess let's close the chapter on this Kyle Lowry thing by... Please. Let's have a, <laughs> let's have a prediction from you. What, what do you see for him in game two? What's the takeaway?
2: Uh I think in game two he'll take five triples he'll hit two or three of them, so we're looking at forty percent or better uh but we're still looking at hopefully a fourteen point outing from him instead of a zero uh and getting into the seven to nine range for assists that's my hope good
0: good that geez that would be nice to see <laughs> after watching yeah, and that, and that's enough <laughs> that's definitely enough yeah that was i can't. I think it was Asad at Swar lasers on Twitter who pointed out that. Nick Nurse's comment said we like it doesn't matter if Kyle scores like 25 or four like we can still win the games. And it turns out that he scored zero when we lost by three. When if he had scored the base, the very bottom (laughs) of what Nurse said, they would have won. There's just I and I guess this leads into and we'll leave the Kyle Lowry stuff behind right now. But this leads into the next thing because it just seems like everything lines up for the Raptors to spell our doom And the question is, right, is, are the Raptors destined to repeat this fresh hell every playoffs? (laughs) Why does this happen? And you see things like even just a Nick Nurse quote lays out how the Raptors can actually win a game. And if you read it obtuse, they come one point shy of it. Just things like that. And it's because we're such, you know, an anxious fan base and we're so pedantic that, that we read into that, and we say, "Oh my God, Kyle Lowry, Nick Nurse, what is happening?" But forgetting Kyle Lowry, why is this stuff happening? Because he wasn't the major problem. Why is this happening to the Raptors this year, most of all?
2: We're we're cursed. I <laughs> uh, I don't have an explanation for it. I'm I'm you know we we've kind of talked. Uh, a little bit negatively and also have some optimism built into this. I'm still very optimistic in regards to this season and the Raptors, um, this series and the Raptors season uh, overall. Um, I, I picked the, uh, the Raptors to win this series in five and it's still on the table. I, I you know, I at least have that to, to hang my hat on. Um, so I, I don't know why this happens, but it, it just, it seems to be a, a story that repeats itself constantly. Um, and I'm hoping that we can move forward and that it won't happen next round. But we're a long way from that still. So.
0: I think maybe the most important thing to happen is, like, the NBA needs to, the way people perceive seeds 2 through 8 need to be different. Because Golden State adds this layer of just nobody can beat them. And you understand. But even Golden State, they almost lost every single year on the way to a championship it does lend itself to the idea i know basketball because it's it's not as high variance as football and there's so many possessions that you expect the best teams to win out because there's a lot of possessions to prove your marathon over and over again but basketball you look at the 76ers who lost you look at the nuggets who lost and like even like in years past the boston celtics Chicago Bulls series where they were tied 2-2. I think we're getting closer to an NBA where there's the Golden State Warriors, but it's kind of in game ones, it seems like in any given Sunday type of thing, like how it is in football. But we perceive it to be like that in the NBA, the better team should always win, when that very clearly hasn't been happening. And unfortunately for the Raptors, they seem to get all of the crap from that narrative of like, Hey, listen. The better team wins, and then there's other better teams that are always losing. But I think we always focus on the Raptors because, like you said, we're cursed—not only to lose, but to receive all this hopeless banter that just dooms us. I—I I didn't even frame a question for you there. I was just <laughs> no, that's
2: fine. I, it's, <laughs> it's that's where we're at in, in this conversation um yeah it, it it happens to everyone um there's people already and i, I picked the warriors to sweep the clippers uh, in this opening round and you know that could very well happen uh but the warriors might just get bored catch up on la nightlife one time um, and they could lose one as well it's just the it it's one thing to lose along the way it's another that the Raptors have this pattern that makes those jokes so easy of those first round losses and, uh, and traumatizing defeats at the hands of... Um, you know, ugh, stupid Paul Pierce and LeBron James just hitting incredible running uh, running jumpers in, in the dying seconds. So there's enough of a, as we were talking about with Kyle Lowry, there's enough of a narrative in regards to the Raptors that this isn't just a, an individual occurrence. Um, it just lends credence to the, the jokes that have been going on for, um, well, six years now and even before then.
0: So, okay, let's live up to our name then. As optimist, optimistic <laughs> Raptors bloggers or writers, I actually dislike the term bloggers, so we'll retire that. Raptors <laughs> right. writers. What What did you like in the in game one? Like, are there are there good takeaways? Are you happy with any performances? Are you happy with any schemes at the Raptors' rant?
2: Um, I, I was happy with a lot of what we saw from Siakam. He he needs to hit those uh, those jumpers from beyond the arc just to keep the defense honest uh if he puts up another 0 for 4 spot uh, in game two um the magic are going to be more willing to hedge off of him and when you have a long rangey defender like jonathan isaac that causes issues when uh when people are trying to get into the paint uh but he wasn't scared he was very assertive um he attacked the paint he he used his advantages when he had a size mismatch or or a speed mismatch he got out in transition uh, I also really liked Danny's game in a lot of ways. Uh, he, he was one of the uh, more negative players in regards to plus minus. Um, but I, I think that he takes those same shots in game two and he will have a, a very, very impactful game. Uh, yeah, so those, those are kind of my positives. I also really liked Gasol. Um, I think the fact that we have a have a center that just can kind of one-on-one uh, stick with Vucevic. Um, that was the game plan that Nick Nurse drew up going into game one. Take Vucevic out of the game and force the guards to beat you. Unfortunately, they did. Uh, but Gasol did a fantastic job in the tasks that he was assigned to. Right. I
0: Yeah, that was my feature for... It just came out this morning was I watched every single possession in which Isaac guarded Siakam. And Siakam, after the first quarter, it became very apparent that Siakam was not going to try to score against Isaac, and he had to be so wily and crafty in how he looked for his own offense. It was after the first quarter, of the eight baskets that Siakam made, only two of them came with Isaac as a primary defender. He tried desperately the rest of the game to just get away from him. And you look at the shots that he made with Isaac guarding him, they're contested. So freaking well, like, it's hard to fathom how well somebody can guard Siakam or just be built in a lab to be a prototypical Siakam defender. But Isaac embodies that because he's so long, he doesn't foul, and he sits back when he's supposed to. And that's where you said, if Siakam hits from downtown, maybe that changes things. And it would be great. But like Siakam, I really liked the way he played because they kept going to him, even though you know, when he had the hardest matchup, it seemed, of any offensive player. He had the hardest job for himself to do. Lowry against Augustine, one of Fournier. That's easier to create a shot. Same with Danny Green working off of them. Kawhi Leonard against Gordon actually seemed like a better matchup, especially since Siakam himself was hunting to try and get matched up with Gordon. And Gasol and Vucevic, like, Gasol isn't necessarily a creator of his own offense, but Vucevic isn't as good a defender as Isaac. So for the Raptors to go to the most difficult matchup for 24 shots really speaks to how crafty and resilient Siakam's offense was in this game. So, yeah, I really like that you highlighted that. Danny Green as well. I mean, he was the second-best three-point shooter in the whole league this year. I don't expect him to miss corner threes like he did in game one. And he, I thought he did a great job chasing Evan Fournier, DJ Augustine, either one. He was especially good against DJ Augustine in the second half, by the way. Mm -hmm. But like the way he played on those guys, whether it be pick and roll or chasing them on pin downs or curls, his defense was so diligent. And like the spacing he gave the shooters to try and incentivize mid range jumpers or floaters rather than give up those three pointers that Orlando likes to take with Augustine and. Fournier, Augustine being, joining Danny Green in the top 10 of three-point shooters in the whole league. And then, yeah, like you said, Marcus Gasol did such a good job on Vucevic that he just kind of isolated his offense. And Vucevic was like three for 11, something like that. And it seemed like two of those makes came with Serge guarding him. So, yeah, those other things you highlighted, I agree with wholeheartedly. Is there, is there something that you think that they can focus on going forward? Like game two, what is the big thing they need to correct?
2: Um, I, it, it's going to be tough because we, we really got torched with the DJ Augustine and, and Vucevic pick and roll, not so much in regards to Vucevic, but if you go over the screen, um, and kind of chase him around, uh, Augustine can get in deep, you know, kick out to some perimeter shooters. Uh, and if you cut under, he's one of the best, um, pull up triple, uh, three point shooters in the entire league this year. Uh, so they have got to do something about that mismatch, and and really, uh, you as much as the focus is on shutting down Vucevic, they need to kind of figure out a way to to slow um, slow down DJ Augustine, which is just such a stupid thing to say. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I don't know how we got to this point, but it's it's true. They, he he deserves that credit. He's really built himself into being a a, a capable player for the Magic, um, and he fills that role well
0: yeah it's he was a godsend for them especially like for him to play at this level i like i remember when he signed with the raptors and he couldn't hang on as like a third string point guard or kind of a pseudo second string point guard and they ended up playing for the bulls and he was really good for them everybody was like damn it like why did we get rid of dj augustine and it still rings true four years later i'm <laughs> poetic i i'm i'll, I'll say something and I really like how the Raptors look in the pick and roll. And it was super encouraging that Vucevic only had his points in the second half when Ibaka was in. And that's not saying Ibaka did a bad job. It's just saying that that's when he scored his baskets. And up until the five points that uh, Augustine had in the last like minute and a half, his layup after he um, sh- shed Danny Green and then got to the rim. And then obviously his three-pointer where both, Gasol and Kawhi went under he had only had one point and it came on a free throw in the whole second half which really speaks to like how well Danny Green played him and I I honestly even though Gasol is not that fleet of foot I think he played very well and part of the scheme I I'm gonna ask you if you agree with me but part of the scheme seemed to be like pushing him either to the to the sideline or either pushing him to his left hand so when he would snake the pick and roll the Raptors would just try and push him all the way out to the sideline. Like you wanted, if he was going to his right hand, he's going all the way to the sideline. If he's going to his left hand, he could take it to the basket, but he's not a good left-handed finisher. So they just kind of allowed him that avenue. Did you see anything like that?
2: I, I was noticing the same type of thing. Um, I, I Generally speaking, I think that they stick with the same game plan in regards to Vucevic. They force him into those spots where... He's a little less efficient than he is in those other spots. Um, keep him from getting to his ideal areas, and the Raptors will will have that similar success. And Gasol is a big body. He's a smart defender, um, and while he's not fleet of foot, he he knows how to play those angles and and get get the offensive player into um, more negative space instead of their their specific targets. Uh, so one on one, Gasol is capable. Abaka uh, did get. A number of times by Vucevic, he's just not quite as strong and um, or, or physical. Uh, and so uh, Ibaka, oh, man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I go back to it. Ibaka hurt them on both sides of the floor, and we'll need a better performance from him. And he, it goes back to last year. He got beat terribly last year and was awful in the playoffs. Uh, and the Raptors will just need more from him. I have two more questions for you, and the first one—well, before we go to
0: Twitter questions, of course—the first one: You are, if I think anything, is your brand, is a lover of role players, and <laughs> <laughs> any thoughts on Jody Meeks' um, performance in this game, even though it was very
2: short? Hey, he was a plus four in three minutes, so you got to give him credit for that. Um, <laughs> uh, Jody Meeks, I, I was happy to see him as the ninth man instead of bringing in Lynn even if it was just to, to provide a few minutes uh his shooting can be a weapon and the the three points that he got were from a uh, a pump fake in the corner where he drove and hit the and one kind of mid-range floater uh, so he has a little bit of dynamic to his offensive game um but he won't take things off the floor in regards to his shooting Lynn, there's just too much variance in regards to what he can provide and his shooting has been terrible since coming to toronto whereas meeks you at least know that he has that one skill that you can rely on uh, if needed okay and the second question
0: is if you had an option to change your prediction to six games or leave it at five games for the series which would you do I'm
2: going to leave it at five. Uh, I, I'm That's bold. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's partly because I, I like to believe that I can be correct. Um, so I, I want to stick with my initial guess, uh, even though the one that we lost, I was predicting, would come on a Terrence Ross flurry. Uh, but I, I'm... When looking at at uh, Saturday's game and trying to be as critical as possible, I think the Magic played up to their ceiling and the Raptors played closer to their floor. Um, they were missing shots. They were failing to set positive screens. Defensively, they were hit and miss on, on a lot of possessions um, in regards to, you know, even... On on that final bomb from Augustine that won the game, Kawhi um, slipped and and went with Vucevic instead of stepping up on his man. Uh, So there was just little errors that the Raptors made that hurt them, whereas the Magic played almost a a perfect game plan for their system and and for their uh, personnel. Uh, So if the Raptors can play closer to even their their ceiling or even their average, um, I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sticking with five.
0: I love that. Honestly,
2: you you are
0: really living up to the optimist like, <laughs> name there. Well, it's incredible that you still stuck with five. I, o- I am not optimist as as or
2: like in denial. I don't know, but well, well, that's the we'll thing, right? Out.
0: It's like how, as a Raptors writer, as a Raptors fan, how do you respect yourself or your team if you just take on this thing because it's you lose just no matter what because it's like if you believe in your team at all. Which you should. A person really should believe in their team. You say, Yes, they're the number two team in the East. The well, maybe the second or third best team in the league. The Vegas has them as the third most likely team to win the title. They're going to beat the Orlando Magic. That's not a bad uh, like opinion to have. That's a normal person's opinion. And then you go out there as a Raptors fan, bold as ever, and you say, I think my team will win. And then the world just <laughs> rains on you. And then it's just, you're wrong. Your favorite player, that point guard, who's lovable, he's horrible. Everybody <laughs> hates you. Oh, my God. The idiocy. It's, but then it's like, am I supposed to bet against my team, the two seed? Because that would be... I, I didn't see anybody suggesting from Raptors Twitter that the Raptors would lose game one. And I I think it was just... Maybe, who is it, Damon Jones, the ex-Cavs coach, the guy who had J.R. Smith throw tortilla soup at him. He was the only guy who suggested that the Magic could win the series. But, I mean, I, I just don't know how we do it. It's, it's just you have to be so self-deprecating as a Raptors fan if you want to be right some of the time, except for Game 2. If you have a Game 2 coming up like we do, we get to be bold. Like, we're going to win that game for sure, but only I, because the game one loss necessitates it.
2: Yeah, so two things. One, I really appreciate you making sure that we knew that it was tortilla soup that J.R. Smith threw. That's, it a, was, that's yes. a key detail that we all need to be aware of. Um, but two, I, I do think that the the Raptors are going to come out and just really lay the, uh, the clamps down and... and Um, dominate game two at least that's my hope and um, maybe it's blind optimism but uh, they have shown that they are the better team they have a higher ceiling they are more consistent Uh, the magic had a great second half of the season and and were one of the better teams post all-star but the raptors i do believe are still a superior unit and should come out and win and i'm gonna stick with that
0: I'm yes, I'm very happy that you're optimistic because it kind of lends itself that I get to be as well. But <laughs> I also get I also get to take half measures, be like, Whoa, that's crazy, man. So I don't look as bad. If yeah, they, you,
2: you, you get to ask the question, would you change to six games instead of actually making your own definitive statement? But <laughs> Yeah, I
0: when I did the series preview with Anthony, I said five. And I basically had the same reaction. He said it was going to be a sweep. And I said, wow, that's bold. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I think I think it's going to be good. And that's that's the thing about doing the Raptors podcast now and bringing on Raptors people to talk about Raptors stuff is we might be a bit insular because everybody I talked to is like, hell yeah, they're a great team. I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> that makes total sense to me. Uh, I guess we're we're gonna do the ad read, and then uh, and then we'll get into Twitter questions.
2: I'm Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. Accidents happen, and when they do, you'll want a lawyer who will stand up to the insurance company and fight for your rights. In case of emergency, have this name in your back pocket. Goldfinger, Brian Goldfinger. Visit GoldfingerLaw.com and get us working for you.
0: welcome back to the raptors weekly podcast i'm joined by matt chance yes that matt chance the one who is the optimistic fan and we'll be getting into the twitter questions we post a question on twitter we said hey we're recording the weekly podcast with matt chance we're taking some questions send them in two people responded with three questions and (laughs) we're going to respond to all of them because three questions isn't a big ask And since Matt Chance and I are servants to uh, the readers, Jorge Harbahosa says, how do I defend Lowry to my friends and family like without plus minus as an aside, nice job on my name in Spanish. Last pod. It's a joke. So as long as you nail the Harbahosa, we good. Well, I did it again. Perfect. (sighs) Well, we haven't left Lowry in the past. It seems like we said we would. How do I defend Lowry to my friends and family? Like without plus minus, Matt, how do you do it?
2: Uh, he contributes more in just the the scoring. Um, yes, the plus minus is a is a key stat, and I think that um, we we do a disservice if we dismiss that. There is a variance <laughs> in re- there is a variance uh, in a, in regards to a single game plus minus. Just because if you get paired with the right player, uh, your plus minus will be better, and if you get paired with the wrong player, um, or even just the other team gets hot for a few minutes. It's going to tank your numbers. But when you look up and down the Raptors chart, he was the only positive plus minus except for Serge, who was paired most of his minutes with, uh, with Kyle. And also Jody Meeks, who, uh, who was a plus four. Um, I guess Norm was also plus one, but eh, whatever. Uh, so most people were in the negative. Kyle was the one consistent one. And everybody's numbers who played with Kyle... Went up, So we do a disservice if we dismiss that. But the fact that he's a point guard and was the second leading rebounder on the entire team, he got seven after Siakam's nine. Um, so he even out-rebounded Kawhi. He out-rebounded Gasol. He out-rebounded Danny Green. Um, oh, never mind. I saw Abaka's at eight. Anyways, he re- out-rebounded the majority <laughs> of the team um, and led the team in assists. So the Raptors go as Kyle goes, and everybody's numbers do improve when he's out there. Uh, so don't just look at his scoring. Don't just look at his uh, his shot chart, um, which will improve. There's no way that he puts up another 0 and six in my mind, or an 0 and seven, whatever it was. Uh, but plus 11 is good. <laughs> don't don't dismiss that.
0: I uh, I saw somebody edit on Kyle Lowry's face onto Will Chamberlain and then put the hundred sign as a plus 11 and i felt like <laughs> your fellow uh Manitobian Justin Rowan burst into my living room and dunked on me when i saw that i had i had never experienced so much pain and laughter at the same time it was just the perfect satire
2: how oh, do you that, that hurts <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: how how does one explain kalari's well that's the thing is like everybody wants you to just give them a stat like i love the stat where i can say hey, listen, Kobe Bryant is like 24% in the last five minutes of games. That's pretty bad. Like, that's a nice stat to throw out there, but there isn't like a stat you can throw out there to vindicate Kyle Lowry besides plus minus or like pie or something like that because people do like stats. You can't just say, look, he screens really well. Watch him sneak like he'll come up. They'll be running like an elevator play, but he'll switch it and he'll set a screen for Siakam. Siakam will go in for a layup. Like, little things he does like that. You can't just explain, like, the 80 things he does throughout a game and expect to keep your sanity. So how do you explain and defend Kyle Lowry to your friends without plus-minus? I don't know. Just hope your friends understand basketball <laughs> a little more, that, like, they know that plus-minus is important, but it's not everything, but also that they value Kyle Lowry as a player. That's I felt like Lewis Zatzman had... I thought it was the easiest question of all time on our Raptors round table when he said, like, do you want Kyle Lowry starting for the Raptors next year? I was like, yes, no matter what, obviously <laughs> do. And then he did a damn offer. It felt cruel. But, yeah, how do you defend him? You, I don't know, you just hope that your friends are Kyle Lowry fans. That's, that's basically it. Otherwise, stay off Twitter, leave your cell phone alone, you'll get dunked on. Athul yeah, J. And, oh, and, yeah.
2: yeah. And, and I, I've seen players put up 40 point games and, and it's a terrible game from them. There's they do so many things that actually hurt their team. They uh, they take ill-advised shots that just so happen to go in or a lot of shots that don't go in. Um, so 0 and 6 looks bad. But, you know, somebody can get 30 points on, you know, four of 30 shooting and, and get praised for that because they had 30 points. Uh, so we, we can't just look at the, a simple scoring metric and say, uh, that's the thing that matters. It's what does the person do to help their team? Um, and if they're doing other things to help, you know, adding seven rebounds, you know, leading the team with eight assists, getting two steals. Uh, so doing things that, you know, help lead towards the end objective of winning the game Um then, I don't care if a player goes 0 for six. you know if if Kyle does another uh, zero point game, um the Raptors win, and while he's on the floor, they outscore the magic by thirty points. I'm fine. You know, that's great. I, I'd rather him score because that's you know fun. Uh, but it's okay. It's the end objective is winning, and that's what matters
0: which is the worst high scoring? Performance you've ever seen, and why is it Kobe's last game? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was shameful. Um, we, <laughs> I, we, we, he did the exact same thing that Devin Booker did in order to get seventy-one. Uh, he just did it in his final game at an obscene age, uh, and because he, he is one of the all-time uh, scoring leaders in the NBA he gets celebrated because it's him going out on top on a shameful Laker team. That was just embarrassing to watch. Uh, so yes, that, that's probably among the most shameful.
0: Uh, just to be a little bit indulgent, I guess, um, before we get into the next Twitter question, how, where does this Laker season rank as far as entertainment
2: for you? Oh, this was just so satisfying to watch. It it was, uh, it was a pleasure as a basketball fan, to uh, to kind of be uh, able to enjoy this ride from a distance and not feel emotionally engaged to it. Uh, I, I was along the uh, i I joined. Um, At the start of the season, I predicted that the Lakers would miss the playoffs uh, and got a little bit of flack for that. Obviously, not as much as, you know, the better known people like Tim Bontemps, who who really went out on a limb and sang it. Uh, But they were just a terribly constructed team from day one. Um, Poor management, a front office with no experience um, that was just there due to nepotism of the Laker genealogy uh, and just some... Terrible people to cheer for, like Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson. So I enjoyed every single moment of it. And uh, and the fact that it just keeps going into the offseason is, is even better.
0: I thought that the Magic Johnson interview was a perfect culmination of that year. I That, that was just I insanity. Got s- I got so much joy from watching certain parts of that interview that I can hardly even express it. Like the fact that he was sitting there... Like being like, hey, listen, like everybody keeps asking me about next year. I'm not going to be here. I was like, oh, my God, this guy, he's actually saying this stuff. It's kind of like what, you know, your workers say, like in the back room, everybody is making their jokes about the manager and all that kind of stuff or like how they're going to quit. But he, he did it on television. He's like, listen, my life is so great. I don't even need to be here. I built this team for LeBron with Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, Javal McGee, who was good. And, you know, I thought Kyle Kuzma was the next, let's say, Paul Pierce or Tracy McGrady. Turns out he isn't. And <laughs> then they're just at the end of the season, they're sitting and LeBron spending the last days of the regular season cheering on Dwayne Wade in Brooklyn. Just the craziest season I can. Uh, so at least we're not the Lakers. Maybe that's the silver lining. That's why I brought this up. It wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't to get jokes off about Magic Johnson and Co. It was, it was to provide a silver lining for the
2: Raptors. I mean, even if that was the point, I'm okay with it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good enough point. Okay, next Twitter question. Athul J, do you honestly trust Pascal as the second guy on our team to score?
2: Yes. <laughs> I'm like is, is is there more to this question? Uh that's it. Yeah, that's I it. do. Um he, he is uh I, I think nurse might go to the well a little bit too often in regards to having Siakam initiate for himself. Um but if I, I'd be more worried about that if he uh if he was a player that got a, tunnel vision a lot but he's a willing passer he he looks for the open man he likes to drop it off to the big Um, you saw the uh cohesiveness that he had with um with Pirtle last year he really works well with cutters on the baseline um so I I have absolutely no issue with Siakam initiating a lot of the offense whether it's for himself or for someone else um ideally will he be the second playmaker on the team Likely not, but on any given night, I got no issues.
0: Totally. I agree. And Athul J, I'm sorry, but this is going to be a shameless plug, but I wrote a big piece just detailing exactly how he was a great second option in Game 1. So I might just tell you to read that, and you actually might be able to enjoy that a lot. If you're looking for somebody to validate, Pascal Siakam as a second scorer. And then Athul J, this is the last Twitter question, says... Is it just me, or does whenever Kyle does not have his shooting touch, he only takes threes and waits for one to hit in order to get his flow back? I mean, would it not be better if we can get him going by taking mid-range Js or be more aggressive and drive to the hoop instead? I'll take this one first because, you know, I said we were done with Kyle Lowry, but we aren't, (laughs) so I'll take the brunt of this one. I, like, there is something to be said for, and I'm addressing you Athul. there's something to be said for... Drawing up plays to get certain players going. As the Raptors are currently constructed, you'd ask the question before Is Pascal Siakam good enough to be the Raptors' second scorer? Next to D'Angelo Russell? Maybe not. Next to Kawhi Leonard, one of the best scorers league wide? Totally. And having Marcus Saul and Danny Green, one of the best tertiary options league wide as well. Kyle Lowry doesn't need to be a type of guy that you get going and you feed him possessions. And if they had done that last night, I just kind of fear that he ends up going over twelve and with mid-range jumpers as well. So I I understand why it's frustrating to see Kyle take and miss shots. I mean, we all felt the frustration yesterday. But the Raptors have a bevy of options at their disposal, and they're supposed to use them. That's why it was kind of crazy to see them go to see Aachen so often. And he responded. But they don't need to force. Kyle Lowry's possessions that he's scoring like on ball he just needs to make his open shots and yeah I guess that's my answer for that do you have anything Matt
2: yeah and if if Kyle was actively hunting and just you know really forcing the issue of trying to get his offensive game going you know taking shot after shot I'd have more concerns. Um, But there was one instance, I believe it happened in the third quarter, uh, where he got wide open. He was in the middle of this, you know, awful shooting night, wide open from above the break uh, for a triple, Um, faked it to get the man to kind of hedge his way a little bit, and then kicked it to, uh, to the wing in order for, I believe a Danny green three. So he had a chance at a wide open shot in order to kind of shoot his way out of the slump. Um, But instead Pass it over to uh, to a guy who is already having a little bit of a good shooting night to to make the more efficient play for a catch and shoot. Uh, so I, I'm not worried. I, I keep saying that and it, and it seems silly and uh, this podcast is kind of helping me talk out talk myself into being a, a little bit more hopeful. Um, but we need him to take those shots. There would be a bigger issue if Kyle changed his offensive game um, because he missed a few shots um if if he goes oh for five that's okay um but he needs to be taking the shots that he would routinely take because that's where the raptors find the most success
0: totally so this being the raptors therapy podcast is there anything else you want to get off your chest any any uh crazy questions you need answered matt
2: I'm good. My wife has been asking me all day how I'm doing because she can tell I'm just a little bit (laughs) off. I I hate that this stuff affects me the way that it does and (laughs) it it just feels stupid. Um, But it it is that's what makes being a fan great. And I I, I, you you read that piece from earlier. Um, If everything was always great, I think that it would get a little bit boring and those great moments would feel a little bit less good. Uh, If the Raptors go on to win four straight, this this series is going to feel fantastic for the Raptors. And and in part because we started with such a low point, Um, you know, having those moments that make us reflect and question and and enjoy those positive moments a little bit more um, makes fandom an absolutely terrible experience, but also makes it really fun. So. Uh, I, I'm trying to be optimistic and and kind of talk my way through this, and I, I hope that we get a better outcome in games two through six be, uh, two two through five, because we're uh, we're winning it in five.
0: I love what you've done because you basically you drew up the framework of the hero's story, and you told us that the juxtaposition of pain is the only thing that makes joy worthwhile. And if we can't all just imagine, the raptors as a man fighting a dragon and having to come out on top then then what are we here for really this is just a microcosm of the gladiators of old and, and this that's what this is i mean fandom that's totally what it is is failing makes the the winning so much better and that you, was, you're that totally was some right. poetry
2: right there yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> grade 8 poetry maybe Canons to the left of them, canons <laughs> to the right of them. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. I feel like that's a good way to wrap up on some uh, fake poetry. poetry. Uh, tell the people where they can find you.
2: Yeah, all of my stuff, uh, writing-wise, can be found on Raptors Republic. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm M underscore Shantz, S-H-A-N-T-Z. Uh, and I'd love to, uh, to kind of interact with you there. Am
0: I just learning now that it's Shantz, not Shantz?
2: That's correct. You are just learning that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe before I would have seen you as like a teacher, but since it's Shantz, I see you as a professor now.
2: Ah, uh, <laughs> it just so uh, a, little... a next level of education. Wonderful. There's yeah,
0: there's brevity to Shantz.
2: Yeah, most most people pronounce it as Chance, like just if you if you read my name, but it's pronounced Chance.
0: That's how you so tell I... a person's class is. I'm of the lower class because I should Chance. But if someone says shants, you know, they're of the upper class. Uh, there's
2: a sophistication to it.
0: Yeah. Well, you have to introduce, you know, any type of uh, discrimination anywhere you can. It's the best way to go about life, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Anyway, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. Day. Thanks for
2: having me. You too. Yeah.
0: As to all the listeners, uh, have a great day as well. Stay blessed.
1: Want to hear something amazing?
2: When you're a pro, your reputation is built and proven over
1: time. That's why the Home Depot carries Loctite PL Premium Max Construction Adhesive, the
2: strongest on the market. It stays 100% solid after curing. It won't develop air pockets. And like your reputation, it holds up over time. Right now, get 12 or more for the bulk price of only $8.53 each. Loctite PL Premium Max at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase required, US only.